Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'm uh, Pastor Tim, and I do want to welcome you to the final installment of our current series, I, God, in which we're examining some of the more popular misconceptions and distortions of who God really is and just replacing them with clear biblical truth. Um, Christmas is a time when your thoughts typically turn to Jesus or Santa, and we realize that the lines can often kind of grow blurry as to what God is truly like. And we're actually basing this series around a recent Time magazine survey that found Americans have four basic religious views of God. They said A, B, C, and D. And the first was that what we call the authoritarian view. Time magazine found that almost a third of Americans believe that God's deeply involved in, in, in daily life and world events, but he's mainly angry just kind of waiting to punish those who break the law. That's kind of gave rise to that stereotype, like the cop around the corner just kind of waiting to pounce on you when you, you know, break the speed limit. The B is a benevolent God. 23% of Americans believe God is mainly a positive force, not interested in punishing, mainly kind-hearted and just kind of giving, like sweet old Santa. And it doesn't really matter who's naughty or nice because we all get the same candy cane anyway. That's about a quarter of the population. But the third one is a critical God, and about 16% of Americans, and actually liquidates as well, believe that God is critical. That is, he's mainly unhappy with the current state of the world, and as he kind of looks at your life, not so pleased, and just kind of waiting to exact divine judgment, kind of like a talent show judge, gauging your every performance. And then finally, we came across the distant God view, and that is, almost a quarter of Americans believe God doesn't interact with the world. He's neither critical nor benevolent. He's just mainly detached. Kind of like this cosmic force, this watchmaker who wound up the universe and then just kind of let nature take its course, like this cosmic slot machine. Now, last time we were together, we took a look at those first two, A and B, and opened the book of Romans to discover that God is not the cop around the corner just kind of waiting to nail us with his speed gun, nor is he the sweet old Santa, this this cosmic grandpa who accepts or excuses all misdeeds. See, we tend to see God as a matter of either or. God is either authoritarian or he's benevolent. And we call that the tyranny of the or. That is God, as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, he defies these easy boxes or labels. And then Jesus instead reveals to us what business author Jim Collins calls the genius of the and. We learn that Jesus Christ came from the Father full of what? Grace and and truth. That is, we discover the God of the Bible is a God of both authority, the Lord of all creation, and extravagant benevolence or love. Grace and truth in dynamic tension, which is good news for us. But today we focus on C and D, the critical or distant God, particularly that first one, C, this popular idea of God as this critical judge who kind of marks and evaluates your every move in life. Um, recently, our culture has become enamored of critics, right? Of talent show judges kind of weighing in on people's talents or, or abilities or lack thereof. In fact, let me uh, kind of set the table with a clip from one of the most popular reality shows that seems to just revel in exposing people's shortcomings. Please rise for the national anthem. I can clearly see 
I'm a part of you, and you a part of me. Simon? <laughs> it was so bizarrely dreadful. You are one of the worst singers I've ever heard in my life. Next. <clears throat> I think you've been reincarnated. Oh, is that right? Well, that sounds like a hit. Mallory, that was... 1.5 out of 10 at most. That was appalling with a capital A. That was painful. <laughs> I don't think another human being on the planet will ever sing like you. <laughs> I think you're amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Amazingly dreadful. That went beyond horrific. <laughs> <laughs> you have wasted my time. You have wasted your own time. You've wasted everyone's time. Crazy. Crazy for feeling so lonely. I knew you loved me. As long as you wanted, then someday you, you'd leave me. I can see the smirks on your face and laugh on your face. I would love a public apology on national television. Danny, I have to say sorry. Sorry that you came into the audition room and sang out a tune. Sorry that you even entered American Idol. I had to sit through it. Therefore, I'm sorry. Painful to hear, painful to see, and yet somehow infinitely watchable. Uh, you know, I think there are like two reasons why millions of people tune into American Idol. First, is to kind of revel in the cringeworthy performances of people who seem to lack like any stitch of self-awareness. Uh, you know, and the second is Simon, right? I mean, nothing escapes his scrutiny or ridicule, and there's nothing like a judge, right? Kind of a critic who gives folks, like, what they deserve. Even the most brutal performers, you even feel, like, a little bit of the awkwardness just because it's a merciful critique. But it's surprising to learn that 16% of, of, of actually this congregation and the entire population views God this way. Kind of this cosmic Simon Cowell just kind of shaking his head at the state of affairs in our world, just kind of waiting to dish out judgment, looking at your life and how, how short you really fall. And maybe that's why some of you have rejected religion. Because you see condemnation and judgment seems to be at the heart of it. And if you're with us today and it's your only time in church all year, good for you. You took a risk and you are welcome here. But I hope you will see God differently because of your time with us. Now there are others of you who would consider yourselves Christians or followers of Jesus Christ for some time. And yet you still view God this way in the back of your head. Although you trust Jesus as your Savior, you still have this sense as you go through life that God is somehow disappointed with your daily performance. Like it's nails across a chalkboard. And he's rolling his eyes as you trip and fall, painfully aware of your every shortcoming. You were late for church. You spilled coffee on the carpet. In fact, one of you who identified this critical view of God wrote on your survey card a couple weeks ago. You said, I feel like I could always be doing better. 
And another one wrote, my worth is based on my performance. And the really implicit idea is that we have this idea that acceptance by God is something we earn. And why not? In most world religions, you do good things and you are rewarded. You blow it, you're judged. And a lot of us kind of impose that notion onto our view of God so that what you think when you think about God, it may not be Paula, Randy, and Simon behind a long table sizing you up, but instead it's God the Father disappointed in you as child, the Son, Jesus, I died for this, and the Spirit just kind of going, you didn't even use, shaking their collective heads at you, just kind of utterly disappointed. And it's funny because we see this in everyday life. From the moment I got up this, uh, early this, this week, we often kind of adopt this religious ranking system that pervades everything we do. It was amazing. On Tuesday morning, I get up and I was like, I'm going to start. I was like, you know, I'm going to make this vow in January. I'm going like, to start getting in shape. And I was like, but I'm going to start before Christmas. I'm not going to let it happen. And sure enough, my alarm clock goes off, you know, and, uh, and I hit the snooze button once, twice, and Colleen hits it a third time. And I get up and I've already blown it. I haven't even made it to the gym and I'm starting out kind of a two, you know. But I got a little extra margin there, so I actually, I was like, you know, Christmas coming up, I was like, you know, let me get out my, my Bible, and I, I pray a little bit, spend about 15 minutes just kind of praying and, and reading God's, now I'm feeling good, I'm like, all right, that's, that's what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, I'm kind of an eight, and as I'm on my way to work, I get a phone call from Colleen, and she's like, the kids are going nuts, she goes, I just, just they're going crazy, I was like, you can't handle them, she goes, no, I, I can't handle, you know, she's like, I feel a three, like a mo- as a mom, you know, and, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, hon, you shouldn't feel that bad, she goes, they're here because you were supposed to take them to work. And, you know, you forgot them. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm not an eight anymore. You know, now I'm down, back down to a two, right? And this is in the first, you know, 15 minutes. I don't even get to work yet. Once I get to work, of course, I'm a, now I have to go back and pick up the kids. So I'm late for my meeting. So, you know, that's not what a good leader does. I'm a four. But the nice thing is, in comparison to Glenn Murphy, I'm looking good because he's like a 1.5, you know. He's got like a punctuality deficit. This is great. So I feel good. I check my email and there's an email in there from someone I met with who's like, you really, really helped me. Thank you so much. I'm like, go me. 9.5, you know, now I'm feeling good. And I check the next email. Of course, it's like, I'm never coming to church again because of you. I'm like, okay, you know, 5.9, you know, and, 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 you know, just to, you know, this was Tuesday, but just to make this live, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Some of you are thinking, yeah, well, you know, Right now, I'm even, this sermon, I can see where this is going. I'm giving it a three. And, um, and if, what you don't know is that I'm sitting here thinking, well, if you would just read your Bibles more, you're, you're, no, you're a one, you'd understand what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, and why, you know, it's like, why do we do this, you know? Why do we do this? It's kind of like this, this, this constant state of comparing and competition and critique of ourselves and of others. And the answer is because that's how the real world works, isn't it? Right? I mean, come on, giving thumbs up, thumbs down, ranking your performance Monday through Friday. There's a reason they call it reality TV. Most of you know this. Uh, Maybe at work this week or last, some of you had your annual what? Yeah, your review, your year-end performance review. How'd you do? Did Did you measure up? Did you meet your goals? Did you exceed expectations? Did you kind of fall short of what your bosses and your partners wanted? The answer to that, you guys know, affects your reward. So if you performed well this year, maybe you were like in, you know, the upper 90%, you know, you got a bonus, good for you, or a promotion. If you fell short, maybe you got a pay cut, hopefully not a pink slip. But that's how the world works. 90% of our lives is based around how we perform. With measurements, points, and rankings designated all to tell you, how am I doing on a scale of 1 to 10? Actually, or a scale of 1 to 27. Check this out. You guys know Ford Motor Company? Yay, go for it. Good American company. They don't have a ranking scale of 1 to 10. They rank their employees on a scale of 1 
all the way to 27. So your entire career at Ford, you can be between 127. This is where you start out if you're like in the mailroom or you're a janitor, you're a one, all the way up to like the CEO. Like if you're Lee Iacocca, that's like Chrysler or something, right? Whatever. You get a 27. But along the way, as you hit different marks, you are rewarded for how you perform, okay? So for instance, if you work, you know, you kind of, you know, diligently and all this, and, and you, you're considered a level nine employee, you go up the corporate ladder. Do you know what you get when you hit level nine at Ford? You get an indoor parking space. Yeah, bad. Awesome. Look at me, a nine. Awesome. And then if you like really put your time in and exert effort and maximize sales and everything, and you walk up to around level 13, this is when the sweet stuff starts coming in because you get your own office. And in your office, you get an intercom and you get a plant. I kid you not. I kid you not. This is from the Ford Employee Handbook, level 13. And if you really give yourself to Ford and crank it out around level 17, this is where it gets good because you don't have to mix with the common folks anymore. You get an office featuring your own toilet. That is literally like the height of Ford's compensation system, a toilet. (laughs) You know, the reality is most of us live under this constant weight of expectations, performance, and judgment of our efforts. You don't have to work at Ford. You could be a stay-at-home mom just kind of wrestling with, I'm I'm not a good mother. I feel like a two. Or I'm a bad wife. My husband deserves better. Or you could be judging your husband. He's only a three and I deserve better. (laughs) But most of us live as if people are only worth loving if they're meeting expectations. And we carry that crippling belief right into our relationship with God. You ever feel that way? I know I have. I still do. I still catch myself doing that. I'm like, yeah, I know God loves me and all. But but man, if I could just ah, have a consistent prayer life. I'm a pastor after all. Or if I could just learn to be more content or, or a better parent, you know, to my kids or, or clean up my thought life. Oh, man, if anyone knew. Then God would finally love me. Then he'd reward me and he, because I'd be meeting his expectations. And so we interpret then everything that happens to us in life through that grid. So bad stuff that happens to you becomes God's punishment for your shortcomings and good as God's reward for your successes. And all of a sudden, we start thinking in terms of a little word we call religion. See, religion is literally defined as our man-made attempts to earn God's love or his acceptance or his approval. It's, it's best expressed in that most American sentiment that says, if I do enough good things, God will accept me or let me into heaven. That's not true. And that's why religion stinks and why Jesus was the enemy of religion. Because suddenly everything becomes about earning the approval of the one we hope isn't too disappointed in us. Hope. Unconditional embrace from God, please. We all know how the world works. Quid pro quo. I'm good, I'm rewarded. I blow it, I'm not. And you let that performance-based grading scale mentality come into your relationship with God so that you no longer see God as he truly is, as he's revealed himself to be in Scripture, but through these man-made kind of religious lenses. And that's a tragedy. Because Jesus did not come to this world at Christmas to found a religion, but to change our view of God forever. This might be a surprise to you, so let me show you what I'm talking about. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. Those are those books on the seats there. And uh, we give you the page number if you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's totally great. We're going to look at Romans chapter 3. We're kind of anchoring this series in the book of Romans, the first three chapters, in the first chapter we looked at, it was kind of on the, the wrath of God, and we learned that's not so much anger, but God withdraws from our lives when we say we don't want him. 
The second week was about the grace of God in Romans 2. But today we're in Romans 3, which kind of brings this all together and shows exactly what kind of God Jesus has fully revealed himself to be. We'll start with verse 21 of chapter 3, in which Paul writes this. He says, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. I want you to go ahead and circle that word righteousness. You can write in these Bibles. If you don't have one, you can take it home with you. But righteousness, you see the word right in there? It refers to God's rightness, his goodness, his holiness. We said that's a fancy word for saying that God is wholly other. He is not like us. Although we project our own human understanding and expectations on them, newsflash, he's not like you or me. Thank God for that. We are the creatures. He is our creator. And he is righteous or holy. That refers to his moral perfection. He is outstanding. He is flawless. The gold standard. In other words, no sin, no brokenness, no trace of imperfection in God. So if we were using Simon's grid, we would say this. God is righteous. He is a 10. He's the only one with a 10. God gets the ranking. Not that we hold up a scorecard, but that's what the Bible says. God alone is righteous. Refers to actually to his character. You hear that? Like God is omnipotent. In other words, he's all powerful. Perfect 10. Omniscient. All knowing. Perfect 10. Omnipresent. Everywhere it was. Perfect 10. He's righteous. 100% good, holy, God is the perfect 10. That's the standard, which presents a problem. Because we are not. Remember that movie with Bo Derek, 10? None of us is the perfect 10. No one in this room or listening online is perfect, right? We kind of know this, but but I was even having lunch with somebody last week, and they were like, I just don't believe like I'm, I don't believe in sin. I feel like we kind of are selfish once in a while, but I don't really believe I'm, I'm sinful. Even those of us who would be considered religious, who read the Bible or go to church every week, all the way to those who know nothing and have kept faith at arm's length their whole life, there is, the Bible says, a brokenness to this world, a brokenness that pervades humanity. Paul describes it this way in verse 23. He says, There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, every one of us, all, have been measured by this holy God And found wanting, lacking. Every creature falls short of this perfect standard compared to God's perfect 10. Call that sin, call that imperfection. We're broken people. Paul says, literally, look, you can underline that. There's no difference. Paul was writing to religious Jews who went to the temples and pagan Gentiles who had never even heard of Jesus before. And he's like, there's actually no difference between you guys. You were all made to reflect God's perfect image. And we all fall short of the perfect 10. In other words, you and I are effective zeros. I know. You're like, these are the notes? (laughs) And some of you may object, particularly religious folks, because you're like, oh, this is such a bummer. Wait a minute. I'm not a zero. I'm a good person. Here I am at church today. I pray. I keep my nose clean. I do good things. I observe God's commands generally, (laughs) or at least in relation to Matt (laughs) or 
Jeanette, you know? See, it helps to start then comparing with each other. Well, I'm a seven, you're a five. But the problem is, is that in comparison to God, we are actually an effective zero. And Paul's point is, God doesn't grade on a curve. Rather, the test is pass-fail. I remember encountering my first pass-fail test actually in college. It was geology class. I was an English major. I wasn't really made to think rocks. And uh, it was amazing because my roommate Clark and I, he wasn't much into it either. He was business. But we stayed up all night like studying and kind of cramming. And we took that geology test and everything. I remember getting it back. I couldn't believe it. It was the first time I'd ever gotten a 68 in college on my geology midterm, right? And, the, and I felt bad until I saw Clark's score. He got a 49. And I was like, yeah, D plus. In your face, you know, Clark. And he's like, oh, man, you know, come on. And that's what we got because you go online and you, like, get your grades. But then when we showed up the next week in class, I get my test back, my exam back, and my exam has in red letters a big F on the front. And I'm like, what the? And he's like, yeah, actually, it's pass-fail, and the standard is 70. I'm like, no. And Clark is like, yes. You failed, I failed. We both failed, right, you know? And he was like all pumped, and and, and Paul's like, there's no difference. In God's eyes, we all fall short. Pastors to pagans, the verdict is in zero. Which one of us failed? Both. And you might object, because you point to people like you say, well, Mother Teresa, you look at her, I mean, she's got to be a nine. She spends her life serving the poor, you know? I mean, compared to like, you know, like Britney, you know? She's a two, rapidly plunging. You know, the addictions, the self-absorption, the prodigal living. And the reality is in God's view, they both fall short of the glory of God. The standard is 10. I'm a zero. You're a zero. Wouldn't you like to be a zero too? (laughs) And no amount of good deeds or trying harder or efforts to please God are going to get him to like us are going to work. Because the test is pass fail with a holy God. He doesn't grade on a curve. Which is how religion got its start. Because if God is up there and we're down here, well, how do we make our way up there? <laughs> what do we have to do to climb the ladder or, or measure up if we fall short? And, and religion has all sorts of good answers for that. Be a good person. Go to church on Christmas. Uh, read your Bible 15 minutes in the morning. Try hard. Serve the poor. But if religion is true, it's about I, God, me before God. What do I do to make my way to God. And you know what? It ends in one of two places inevitably. The first place it ends, and if you've ever hang around religious people, you know this, is pride. <laughs> because if you're really good or religious folks, and, and maybe you're even sitting here kind of in judgment being like, oh, oh I see this is a message for, for unreligious people. Um, if you're really good and you follow all the rules, you keep your nose clean, you mark off the, you know, the religious checklist, you become, you end up growing into a spiritual snob, right? Maybe that's why you don't come to church. Because it's all these people who are like, well, God loves the obedient, and I am obedient. I work hard, I pray, I have a quiet time, I tithe, I serve, I sing the songs, I show up early on Sunday, I stay late, I work hard. I may not be a 10, but at least I'm a 9, and God rounds up. <laughs> and, and, and the world is full of religious snobs, aren't they, isn't it? Yeah. Who are pretty self-satisfied that they're the ones hitting the ball out of the park while the others are blowing it. How many of you know a proud religious person? Yeah, aren't they a thrill to be around? (laughs) So humble and compassionate. 
this kind of understanding and embracing of others, not so much. Why? Because they are self-righteous. Pretty sure their goodness comes from their performance. So they're always crossing their arms, kind of judging others. And then you get to become the critic because, well, she has no (laughs) self-control. Or we distance ourselves from everyone else who we think is really blowing it. And, and, And pride, folks, pride, pride is the king of sins. It got Satan kicked out of heaven. It'll let you cut in the line of hell, but it doesn't help. Religion doesn't work. Because if it doesn't end up with pride, you know what it crushes you with? Despair. That's the only other place that religion can lead to. I tried, I tried, I tried, I failed, I fell short. My thoughts are not pure. I did the wrong thing. I forgot the tithe check. I lost my temper with the kids. I said the wrong thing to my spouse. I didn't pray enough. I didn't read my Bible enough. I didn't come early. I could have stayed late. I failed, I tried, I failed, I tried. I'm a zero. What's the point? I'm I'm depressed. Things will never change. I'll never measure up and God's always giving me the thumbs down. He sees me and he frowns. Why go to church? Maybe that's why you stay away from church. Because like it's just more religion. Reminding me of all the things I'm not doing and highlighting the ways I fall short. And that's why you're right to be wary of religion. Because it can only lead to pride or despair. One of two places. I mean, you even see this on American Idol. If they perform good, right, they want their own album. Right? I saw Clay Aiken's tour bus here in Morristown last week. What? You know? And if they fail miserably, they despair because they're humiliated in front of a national audience. But here's the great distinctive funds. Authentic Christianity is not a performance-based religion. If you hear nothing else today, the incredible news of the Christian faith is that religion is dead. Because although we're all effective zeros, though we all fall short, verse 24 says, we are also radically accepted. And all are justified freely by, I want you to circle this little word, grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, because we're all in the same predicament, falling short of the Father's standards. Because he's first and foremost a loving father, not a distant critic, God actually made a way for us to be accepted or reconciled to him. And instead of having to climb the ladder up to heaven, at Christmas, he literally brought heaven down to us. It's Christmas. Out of his grace, his extravagant radical love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to a broken world to be the bridge that would allow our acceptance by God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. When Jesus was born into this world, the only time someone entered it as a perfect 10. And not because he was a baby. Because he was the sinless son of God, God in the flesh. And when he left this world being crucified on a tree, he took our sins in exchange for his righteousness. That's what Paul means when he writes in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus bore the judgment that's kind of due us. He takes the hit for us. But not only that, in exchange, he gives us his own righteousness. In other words, when we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, something incredible happens. God actually no longer sees your zero Instead, he sees his son's perfect 10 in you. He literally sees you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because Christ literally enters your heart and you are credited with being righteous or having the holiness of God in us. 
Theologians and Bible nerds have a fancy word for this. They say God's righteousness has been imputed. In other words, it's, it's put on or credited or attributed to you because of Jesus Christ. And it's literally a gift. Nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing to deserve it. It's simply yours to accept or not. In two days, you'll be handed some gifts with sparkly ribbons and paper. And you can't, you know, can you imagine offering someone, thanks for that, how much do I owe you for that? No, it's a gift. You can accept it or not. But there's this promise made that whether you've been going to church your whole life or you've just heard the news that religion is dead for the first time, the righteousness from God comes through faith to Jesus Christ to all who believe. In other words, Everyone who falls short is a zero. Anyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God, sent to die for your brokenness, is declared a ten in God's sight. That is the good news of Christmas. It is the news that changed the world, that religion is dead, that you can't earn your way back to God, but a new relationship is now possible through simple faith in a baby born to die. Jesus Christ, God's only son. Salvation is here. And you can become, anyone can become a friend of God. Not because your performance, where you've blown it in the past or how good you've done, or your attempts to do good things or earn it, but because of Jesus. You can actually have a place in heaven forever, not because you earned it, but because God offers you this incredible gift called grace. That's God's heart. And if you accept that truth, it will change everything because you will enter this new reality called grace, which is an entirely different way of living because you begin actually living freely in relationship to God and others because you know he has no judgment for you. You actually stop having judgment and criticism for others. Because it's no longer about performance to measure up. It's now what's about inside. What's inside? What's inside your heart? Actually, Jesus Christ. And when you're no longer afraid of judgment or critique, that's what sets you free to live differently. Have you ever met somebody who lives under no judgment or no sense of, you know, typically like, yeah, you know, that's what goes on American Idol because they have no self-awareness. But imagine reflecting the glory of God and taking a radical stand of confidence knowing God accepts you exactly as you are. I'm aware that when we talk about grace, this can be kind of hard to envision. Um, It's an abstract concept. You know, God's kindness poured out into imperfect, undeserving people. The Greek for grace literally is charis, which literally means gift. It's where we get our, you know, Christmas gift, okay? And... um, Christ's sacrifice is a gift. Our salvation, it's a gift. It's a grace in this. God chooses to give ordinary people graces, gifts, to be used for his glory. But typically, we don't let it out. What would it be like to be free from religion and actually live in grace? Incredible things happens. Because life becomes marked by two qualities that are rarely associated, actually, with religious people. When you begin living... (laughs) In grace, incredible humility pervades you because you know you ain't all that. You're not convinced about that. And there's also this incredible joy that pervades you because you know God's spirit is in you and actually it's only his power that's going to be start changing you. Um, let's get real. 
what would it be like to walk each day in humility? If you were to openly admit that you are flawed, you are modest, you are broken and perfect, with many warts worthy of critique, and at the same time, you are fully aware that you are graced by God. You've been given the gift of total acceptance through the presence of Jesus in you. What would that be like? How would you go through life differently? How would that affect your daily performance as a flawed but freely accepted child of God? For all the cringeworthy moments on American Idol, this clip from a British talent show featuring a salesman from a cell phone warehouse reveals a moment of breathtaking grace. But for the next contestant, the world of showbiz seems a million miles away. It's Paul, a mobile phone salesman from South Wales. By day, I sell mobile phones. My dream is to spend my life doing what I feel that I was born to do. Paul, what are you here for today, Paul? To sing opera. I've always wanted to sing as a career. Confidence is, has always been sort of like a difficult thing for me. I've always found it a little bit difficult to be completely confident in myself. Okay. Ready when you are. So you work at Carphone Warehouse, <laughs> and you did that. I wasn't expecting that. No, neither was I. <laughs> this was a complete breath of fresh air. I thought you were absolutely fantastic. You have an incredible voice. I think if you keep singing like that, you are going to be one of the favourites to win this whole competition. we've got a case of a little lump of coal here that is going to turn into a diamond. 
Okay. Moment of truth, young man. Piers. Absolutely yes. Amanda. Yes. Paul, you are through to the next round. Congratulations. You must be over the moon. I am. A bit shocked at the moment. Are you? <laughs> and as Paul heads home happy, the judges think they might have found something special in Cardiff. I like shows where somebody isn't a professional, has a talent, isn't aware of it, has a normal job, and then you see something else. Mm. I like that. Mm. And that's what that guy has. discovered a little gem. Mm. Yeah. A frog that will turn into a prince. Yeah. It's an amazing thing when you see a moment of grace, common grace, close up in the real world. They are the rarest of things. There's a reason that clip has been viewed over three million times on YouTube. A phone salesman with a crumpled coat and lumpy body sings Puccini. On the outside, he's an easy mark. Looks the zero. Easy mark for the critics. But despite his outward appearance, he nails it because of what's inside. A grace, a gift, a gift from God. The perfect ten. And Simon's left speechless. Humility and joy in dynamic tension. You know, what is it about Paul Potts that makes us tear up? It's not the opera. I don't know the words to Nesam Dorma. <laughs> I think it's because when we see such a stark example of God's everyday grace in the real world, his extravagant gifts to the undeserving, even the critics shut up because they know this comes from God alone. Paul Potts sold cell phones. He had an untrained voice, nothing glamorous to look at, but God gave him a gift, a grace. He didn't earn it. He didn't buy it. He simply accepted it, and then he lived in it. And that's the freedom that comes when you accept Jesus' righteousness and live. You take, Paul says, take your stand with this grace in which we stand day to day. That although we may look like a zero to others, ordinary, flawed, nothing on the inside, because of the grace inside of us, you are free to bear the glory of God. That's what you were made for. And God's approval is the only one that counts. And when he sees you, he sees the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, a ten. And the pressure's off because it no longer matters what the critics say. Actually, no matters no longer what you even think. That's the relationship. That he's invited you into. Not a religion where you earn a 10 by your strenuous self-efforts. But into a relationship of humility and confident joy. Because of the gift bestowed on us. There is so much more to life than competition and critique and condemnation. And that's news for some of you who've been turned off by religion. Religion literally says... If you sing well, then God will love you. Grace says just the opposite. Because God loves you, you are free to sing. 
with the pressure and the posturing off, there's a humble confidence that comes with knowing you are not judged, you are not worthy of love or your own efforts, but you're accepted by God because of Jesus. And now only the Father's applause remains. That's the big idea of Christianity, folks. It's the big E on the I chart that so many people miss. It's not a religion of works but a relationship of grace. That's what Paul tells us. That's how he sums up this entire letter in Romans in chapter 8. He says, therefore, because of this new reality, let's read it together. There is now, what? No condemnation. There's no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ took it all upon himself. So the pressure is off of you. The judge has left the building. The ranking system is gone. And every believer passes in Christ and nothing you do or don't do changes that. There is only grace left. Grace tells us there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And that's good news for these who are prodigals who are like, oh man, I hope that's true. And if you're one of the prodigies, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. In Jesus Christ, he already loves you as much as an infinite God is capable of. You have gotten the thumbs up. You've been awarded the perfect ten in Christ Jesus. And so life is no longer about trying or some arbitrary man-made standard, but simply learning to live out of God's love and out of gratitude actually obey God. And as a child, almost completely is confident in her father's acceptance of her. And you determine to grow up like daddy too. I want to reflect his glory inside of me. God is not your critic. He's your savior. God is not distant. He has sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live inside of you. The one who knew no sin became sin for you so that you could become the righteousness of God. And there's no condemnation left for those who are in Christ Jesus. Someday, every one of us will stand up on a stage. Spotlight. Before God. And that's an intimidating thing if it's up to you to make an impression. But to those who are in Christ Jesus, who Christ Jesus is in them, this is how the judgment of God will look when we stand before him. We will actually bow down before him with humility. I have nothing to offer. These are my my best, are like filthy rags. Outwardly will look the spiritual zero. But the judge will be looking actually for one thing, what's inside. And that glory will be unveiled, the glory of Jesus Christ in us. And when you rest on that promise that by grace are you saved through faith, this is not from ourselves, you will be measured and evaluated and proclaimed 10. Because that's who you are becoming in Jesus Christ, your Savior. And that's not cause for despair, but tremendous joy which no amount of religious striving or posturing can produce. Humility. You, you walk with humility in life. You, never be, you don't become a religious snob because you're like, I, I am actually nothing special, but Jesus is everything. I fall short. You want to see my thought life on You don't want to see my thought life on screen. But Jesus didn't. <laughs> he came to this world and died on the cross for me. So I must be worth something. In fact, now that he's in me, God sees me as a 10. Why? Not because of anything I've done, because of what Jesus did. And in that, I make my stand. What would it mean for you to live with the confidence of that new reality? What would that look like? When I was a little boy, I loved baseball. Still love baseball. Probably shouldn't have. I sucked. I thought I was a lot better than I was. And here's one of the reasons. Because every game I ever played 
From T-ball all the way to high school, my dad came to every game. It was when video cameras were first starting. And he would bring a video camera to every game. And he'd stand by the third baseline right behind the chain link fence and go, Come on, boy. Come on, Timmy. Do it, man. Do it. I'm like, you got it, Dad. You got it. You know, swing and a miss. You know, swing and a miss. If I was lucky, I'd get hit by a pitch. But every time after the game, he was like, Awesome, man. You were incredible. I was like, You think so? Yeah. And, you know, that went on. And I actually believed that even into high school. So I joined, like, the high school baseball team, right? And, you know, the funniest thing was my dad would come to every game, even in the rain, and he'd stand there behind that chain link fence videotaping me. And I, I played like three innings the whole season, mainly pinch running. And what would happen is when you'd watch these videos, you'd see, you know, our, the big hitters like, you know, Rob Lenfant, he was like this number four hitter. He was like drafted to Oklahoma State. And whenever he came up, if I was like pinch run, Tim, where'd the camera go? Running out, you know? The first base, and then, you know, I'd get thrown out stealing, and the camera would follow me all the way off. It's all right, man. You try. Good job. And it was amazing, because I was like, I think I could get drafted by the Yankees. I think this is possible. <laughs> and it became embarrassing, because we actually won the championships that year in Essex County. It was amazing, versus uh, Glen Ridge. And at the, high, at the dinner, at the awards dinner, they grabbed my dad's video, who made a composite, you know, the whole season. And they put it up on the big screen and they play this thing and it was the most embarrassing moment of my life. Because <laughs> the video was about 20 minutes long tracking our whole season. And about 15 minutes of it was me. <laughs> and literally a guy would hit a home run, you'd watch the ball sail over the fence and you'd just see me running out, getting the bats and running off the field, putting them out, you know, setting them up. High five, man, meet him at home base. You know what that does for a boy? Maybe overconfidence. But certainly not despair. It set me free to bear the glory of God because swing or miss, I knew I always had my father's wild applause because it was never about my performance. It was about his acceptance. And I didn't stop trying because of that. It actually set me free to swing for the fences. He actually had to tell me in college, I don't know that this is going to work out for you. (laughs) I do that imperfectly, but where I fall short, I know there's forgiveness. And where I succeed, I stay grounded and humble because I'm aware of God's grace. And when I fall short as a father, as a friend, or a pastor, I can remain joy-filled and actually secure because first and foremost, I know I am a friend of God through the grace of Jesus Christ. It is the opposite of religion. And it will set you free to live and bask in the kindness and love of God your Father. That's what Christmas is. The birth of Christ signaled the death of the critical, distant God. Religion is dead. God's name is not Simon. The critic has left the building. And only love remains. Have you taken that reality to heart? Because it is a gift. It is yours to accept or decline. That gift of grace that God longs to give you. I hope you have. And if you haven't, we want to give you a chance to do that. Even today, right now, at Christmas. To actually forsake religion, denounce religion, and enter into a relationship with God. Or maybe simply renew it this Christmas. Let's do that. We'll, We'll just bow our heads for just a minute. And again, I don't know where you've been. Maybe you've steered clear of church. Maybe you've been it in your whole life and... And you've been like, it's so heavy. It's such a heavy way to live. 
And you need to renounce religion. Two kinds of people can pray. If you have never accepted that gift of Jesus' grace, you can do that right now. You can simply say, God, I know who you are. You are a 10. And God, I may not be a zero, but I fall short. I admit that. And so I accept the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, into my life. Thank you for grace. Thank you that he came for me and rose for me. And I have a new life with his spirit inside of me. We pray that sincerely. God hears that prayer. And you are you're like born again. You are born into the family of God at that moment. You have the promise of eternity in heaven. But maybe, maybe, maybe you're on the other side of it and you've been going for some miles along in this journey. And you, you can pray right now. That's me. You can pray. God, I pray right now for people who have um, accepted that gift of grace maybe some time ago, maybe in their teens or in a moment, God. And the journey so far has just been heavy. And, and maybe we've been self-righteous, Lord, even. We've committed the sin of pride, Lord, towards others. Lord, I pray that this Christmas you would give us the gift of canceling all condemnation, God. Our self-condemnation that we yell at us, what we have towards others. And allow your love, your grace to flow through us that others would see something different. Renew that in each woman and man here, Father God, this Christmas, the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. We all said...